Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors. And our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity, and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and ebooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the Promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the Promotions or Audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com slash writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing! Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. Zach, what's new, man? Absolutely nothing. What's new with you? <laughs> oh. No, man. Well, through, yeah, the, yeah, through the magic, I'm boring today. I know through yeah. the magic of technology, uh, we're recording, we're recording this after the one that comes out tomorrow. So oh, even if we didn't, I still have nothing new. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just writing books and playing video games. So there's literally nothing new. So this time travel stuff confuses me. Should I buy a lottery ticket? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's where you gotta go to JD. JD's got way better, like stuff to say than I do. I know, so. I know. Well, a uh, little little expo- explanation. This might sound slightly different uh, if you're a listener because this is our first live Patreon Q&A episode. So in a few minutes, we're going to bring in uh, patrons to ask their questions live on the air. We'll also be answering questions that have been submitted uh, from other patrons uh, through Patreon. So quick reminder, if you want to get in on this, head on over to patreon.com slash the Writers Inc. podcast, and uh, you can uh, be invited for these live sessions. So that's uh, they'll be coming up soon. JD, what are you working on this week? Uh, I'm, I've just brought over the construction noise. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> that's all. That's your <laughs> only purpose. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, I'm, I'm working on edits on a, on a new book, and it, it's it's so much fun working with an editor that actually knows what they're doing. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's like a, a com- I, I don't want to get into too much detail, but like I've worked with so many editors across the board, and this one just happens to be spot on as far as all of her comments and and, and everything throughout the book. Like every paragraph that she's moved, every you know little thing that she's she's flagged, um, just phenomenal. Oh, that's great. How, how did you come to use her? Uh, just through, you know, trial and error. I mean, I, I'm constantly looking for for people to as beta readers and alpha readers and things along those lines. And this is just somebody that, um, you know, I, I sent a short story to um, along with 10 other ones just to try and get a feel for uh, for how well they worked. And the biggest problem I have is a lot of them tend to they 
provide a lot of developmental stuff that I don't necessarily need anymore at this point. Um, mm. and, and this, she's really just sticking to on, on topic things. She's there's the construction noise. Um, you know, just punctuation and grammar fixes, things like that. But then also, you know, little, little flags, like I, I removed a character and, and, and bounced something to somewhere else in the story. And like, and she caught a reference, you know, earlier on that I missed and, you know, think things like that, that slipped by some of the other people that I've used in the past don't seem to be getting by her. Excellent. So this is a self-pub book then? This one is, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, maybe. I mean, I, I run everything past an editor before I even show it to my agent. So, you know, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see where this one goes. Awesome. All right, cool. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum and I'm outlining a book. And I, <laughs> after, after hearing uh, Lee Child, which, uh, by the way, if you're listening in real time, that's our bonus episode tomorrow coming up. So a little plug there. I took care of you, Jay. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I kind of want to just throw my outline out and just go, <laughs> but, but, uh, it's this, it's the fourth book in a series. And I'm, I feel like I'm in that middle slog of a series, you know, like I know where I'm going and for the end of the series, but I'm just like, I'm just, I feel like I'm in like this middle slog right now. So, you know, yeah. Nice. That's what I'm working on. Cool. Well, you guys ready to take some questions from patrons? Get on. All right. Let me, uh, let me bring them in here. And then Zach, I think, is going to handle the, the Q&A portion. Yeah. Hello, hello. Hey. Uh, Kathy, welcome. Hi. Hey, you, you're going to get the first question on the first official Writers, Inc. Q&A episode. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, no pressure. Or anything. Yeah. <laughs> it better be good. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about it. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, go, go ahead. If you have a question, you can go ahead and ask us. All right. This is kind of um, not so much a question for me. Cause I already know how I feel about it, but I'm just curious what you guys, what your perception of this is. And um, I rarely hear podcasters and I listen to a lot of writing podcasts. I really rarely hear them talk about, trade reviews and awards as part of a marketing plan for indie authors. And from my experience, I can't prove it, but I believe my trade reviews and awards have wiped my exposure and probably sold more books than anything I've ever done on social media. And for the time I put into it, especially, you know, compared to the time you put into social media, right? Um, I also find they are super useful in an author business it gave me a ton of credibility. I know I've had plenty of clients say, I'm going to go with you because look at your trade reviews, you know? So, you know, I'll go with you as an editor or whatever. So I'm just wondering what, what you guys think about that. Um, I, indies. I, I, I could definitely, uh, talk to that a little bit i mean it, it, it's huge if you want to go wide um particularly in print um if or libraries or, or anything along those lines um librarians in, in general there's a lot of publications where they'll repeat a lot of those you know whether it's published publishers weekly but things like that the librarians tend to really use those quite a bit to decide whether they're going to pick up a book or not and, and put it in the store um you know so for, if, if that's your goal if that's what you're shooting for um it's definitely worthwhile for, for that um and i know from traditional press like if you've got a review in publishers weekly that could open the doors to a lot of newspapers and magazines and, and things along those lines so it's, it's useful for all of that now if, if you're not planning on doing any of that if your you know business model is primarily ebook then it's it's really not necessary um because they're, they're very difficult to get and that, that's part of the you know the, the game or the thinking i think that if you know if you actually got a review from publishers weekly another one from you know the ap and all these other big services 
resources, you know, that, that says something, um, you know, the fact that they were actually willing to pick up your book and even look at it because it's, you know, even though you're sending it in, it doesn't mean that they're going to actually review it. Um, if it's one of the pay services, I, I tell people not to do those. Um, you know, I'm not going to start throwing the names out there, but you know, some of them charge hundreds of dollars and, you know, they'll tell you that, well, you know, you're paying for it, but this review, because it's got our name on it, it's going to help you go places. That's, that's not the case. That's not going to help you. It, it's really, you know, like the ones that I mentioned, Publishers Weekly, um, the AP, those, those are the ones that'll really move the needle. I, I do feel too, like, I mean, it, from a, from a you know reader perspective, like shopping on Amazon, I mean, it does seem like, especially like the more recognizable stuff, like if a, like a reader, some readers are going to be familiar with like Publishers Weekly, for instance, you know, and so I could see them seeing that as like uh, to help them buy the book. I, I've heard the same thing. I know some authors, uh, you know, I, I've heard some authors say, you know, like, oh, having like USA Today bestseller on your book, like doesn't mean as much because it can be gamed so easy and, you know, like a lot of people get it in box sets, but a lot of readers don't know that, <laughs> you know, like they don't know how all that stuff works. So like they could see USA Today bestseller and be like, oh, wow, that's, that's legit. You know, I know that's a slightly different thing, but I think my overall point is uh, that I think that sometimes, and, and I've been guilty of this, you know, we talked about this stuff on previous podcasts and, and all that about like, not focusing on awards and stuff, but I do think that those things can definitely help you sell more books. Yeah. I'm honestly not so sure about the awards. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know in literary fiction for sure. It, it helps yeah. you know, a lot. Um, the genre stuff I'm, I'm not quite so sure about. Um, but yeah, like USA Today bestseller, those kind of things, it, it all adds credence. It all, it all, you know, raises your boat a little bit, floats a little bit higher. So any, anything like that, that's going to, going to, going to help is worthwhile. Awesome. You feel like that answer your question pretty well? Um, yeah, I, I guess I would respectfully disagree. I found them like hugely helpful, but, um, just curious what you guys thoughts was on it. And since I'm the only actually, um, author in the room right now, or the only, <laughs> um, non podcasting author here right now, um, doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, um, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just more of a local thing. You get known in the local community. Um, if you're someone who's gone down that road and done fairly well, I mean, I did manage to get a publisher's weekly to look at my book and you take a risk there because you don't have an option to um, hide your review if it's bad. And yeah, they weren't, they weren't like doing jumping jacks over my book, <laughs> but Kirkus and Bluey did. So, um, you know, and I've shown up on uh Paul, uh, Paul Goat Allen's blog, he's mentioned the book and stuff like that. So I don't know, I just feel like I've gotten like good exposure through it for, for um, in a way, Kirkus and Blue Ink were paid. Um, but for me, time is money. And I'd rather spend a few bucks doing that than hundreds of hours on social media. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Just, I, I just think to throw you... this out there, um, it, for for the amount that you're gonna you're gonna spend for a Kirkus review or one of those other ones, you could also put your book up on NetGalley and and you could easily get you know a couple hundred reviews from from actual readers. One one of the biggest problems that I have with any of the re review services is you know they're 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 sending your book out to one person to to review it. 
you know, and, and it may or may not resonate with that one person. It may be a really good book, but it just, for whatever reason, they don't like it. And, and that, but that review speaks for the entire organization and they can come back and bite you if it's a bad one um, or vice versa. They might give you a starred review, but you're just, you're really gambling and like publishers weekly. I think they only oh, yeah. pay these people. Like, I think it's 150 bucks. Like they don't pay these people a whole lot of money to review these books. Um, you know, so you're, 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 you're taking a lot of chances there. I, I, I purpose, I, I would prefer to crowdsource and use something like NetGalley, you know, get a lot of reviews behind it that will, you know, and those will also post on Amazon when the book goes live and things like that. So a dollar for dollar that sometimes it's a better spend. Nice. Yeah. I, I think one thing too, that is, is cool is, you know, it, you found some stuff that works for you. And I think that that also proves like, you know, just because someone says something works for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And that can go the opposite way where just because someone right. says, oh, well, this doesn't work doesn't mean someone else can't make it work, you know? Um, so I, I think that's, I think that that's a really true testament to that too. And there's, there's so many different ways to market a book, <laughs> you know, there's, there's definitely not one or two ways to do it. So um, awesome. I'm going to jump to a couple of the questions we got off Patreon and uh, Catherine, actually I have a question from you in here, Catherine too. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a few weeks old, but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll get to the, we'll try to get to this one as well. Um, and then if you have any other questions, we can, we'll come back to you here in a second, but I, I want to hit this one from uh, Kim Barton is she says, I've heard conflicting pieces of advice to write the books you would like to read, but aren't out there yet. And on the flip side, if a book isn't out there, that means no one wants to read it. Uh, what are your opinions? If there isn't any books of particular genre or subgenre, as uh, is it because no one wants them or simply because no one has written the books yet? I'm going to come to you first on that one, Jay, since JD just talked for a minute. I don't know. That's a great I'm gonna question. I'm going to go to JD on this one. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, to, go to Jay because I honestly don't know the answer there either. That is um, a great question. I've never thought about it that way. I, yeah. I think, I mean, if you look back through, like when Fourth Monkey was coming out, I, I went back and looked um, at, at movies through time. Um, and when Silence of the Lambs came out, like the movies that were out right before that were The Addams Family and like all these feel-good comedies. And like there was nothing at all anywhere near it, like like that particular story, you know, a serial killer, you know, a novel. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, that one hit and, you know, Kiss the Girls came out and all these other movies and, and books along the same line. So it was a trendsetter. Um, but I, I think you're, you're obviously you're rolling the dice and you're taking a lot of chances by trying to be that trendsetter. But if you are, you know, that that's huge, you know, to be able to get in there. I mean, people did not know who Thomas Harris was really until Silence of the Lambs came out and, you know, he's, he's done pretty well. Um, so I, I think if you can come up with an idea that hasn't been done yet, you know, more power to you. And Lee touches on this in, in the interview, like every story has been told at this point. So if yeah. you can come up with something that's an original take on something, I, I would roll the dice and try it. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, and I've kind of spoken on this before, you know, I have a series I really want to write that it, I really haven't seen anything else uh, else out there like it. Um, but, and so it's got, it's got some risk involved. And for me, like, I'm going to do it, but I'm, I'm currently like buying myself the time to be able to do that by building up another series. That's a little more commercial where I will hopefully have some passive income coming in where I can write a couple books, those other series and see if it'll sell. So that's kind of my approach. Cause I, I it's a, it's a tough thing. Like, I mean, it, cause there definitely is a risk involved, but the, you know, the reward can be as, as JD just mentioned with the, you know, the Thomas Harris example could be, could be really, really good, you know? So I think you also have to look and, and think about what's going to light your fire. Yeah. 
You know, I think that you can't discount that. um, If you're really excited about something and it doesn't exist, then maybe that's what you go with because you're really excited about it. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. So let's see. Uh, Let's go to this question from Chad. Um, I'm kind of curious from JD's point of this question too. Um, Do you guys have a set budget per book or series for advertising? Um, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I tend to change it. I, I've got a little reminder set up every Thursday and I look to see how the ads are performing. I look to see how much money is coming in from, from each particular book. Um, and, and I tweak everything, you know, based, based on that. So, um, I, I don't necessarily have a certain dollar amount I, from advertising in general, you know, as, as a, you know, a business expense, I, I do. Um, so I guess every Thursday I sort of decide how to allocate those dollars, but I, I don't take it all the way down to a, a per book level. Yeah, Jay, you don't necessarily budget for advertising, do you? No, and I'm not currently advertising anything. Um, I think the when we were doing three story method, I think we kind of had a, a daily budget that we were going yeah. by, right? If I yeah, remember that yeah. correctly. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have like a set budget aside either. I just kind of when I am running ads, I just kind of I just monitor them, and uh, I, I guess I do kind of have an idea what I want to spend in my head. But if the if the ads are working and they're spending more than maybe I want to, as long as they're earning back. I think that's kind of the way I look at it, if that makes sense. So there's not really a, a set budget. Uh, let's see. Uh, here, here's another good JD question um, from Chris Wills. Uh, if you wrote a one-off book that you thought was very good, how would you decide whether to go trad or self-publish? Assume immediate earnings was not an issue and you think it might sell well. Uh, I'd be interested to hear JD's view also, as I believe he's hybrid. Uh, how does he make that kind of decision? Um, for me, it comes down to two two things: uh, money. You know, how much are if a publisher wants it, how much they're willing to pay me for it, and the timing of it. Um, because at this point, I really just want to make sure I stay in front of my audience on a regular basis. And if you have books coming out on the trad side, you've got zero control over those publication dates. Um, so I, I, I would pull a book, you know, that, you know, trad guys may want, but, you know, if I need to fill a particular void, let's say in March of 2022, you know, I, I've got no problem pulling a trad book to, and putting it there. Um, but for the most part, I, I, you know, everything that I write, I give it to my agent. She shops it to the traditional publishers first. And then we, we weigh all those different things. You know, how much are they willing to pay for it? When do they want to put it out? You know, what's their marketing plan going to be? Um, you know, I, I look at that. I try to decide if they're going to do something for me that I can't do on my own and, you know, just create a pro and con column and, and go from there. So the key thing I think you said there is that you write it and you shop it and you don't make the decision until after you've shopped it. So you're not changing your process because you're self-publishing it versus sending it out with your agent. No, I mean, the only time that I would is if I'm specifically trying to hit a, hit a date. Um, so like, I don't want to get into too much detail, but I had a date in 2022 where I have to get a book out no matter what. So I just went ahead and um, wrote one that we're not going to shop traditionally just because I know I have to fill that void. And if I were to sell it traditionally, then I've got to write another one and I just don't have that much time in me. Got it. Interesting. Jay, do you have any, fr- I know you haven't trad published anything, but I know, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I mean, I, I'm, I've been over the past year, I've been learning a lot from, from JD and working on this manuscript that, uh, that, you know, we're, we're going to try and get an agent for. And, uh, and I, I like that approach of like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not thinking about where it's going 
in the process. I'm just focusing on writing the absolute best book that I, that I can. And then that decision will come later. Here's another one from Chris. And, um, I know JD has done this. Um, so, cause I, the, uh, one of your books I read was like this. Um, are there any popular novels written that mix first person and third person? Um, I think this is an interesting question because I was kind of against this, like as, or even from a reader perspective, I was like, that's really weird. Then I read, uh, there's a broken thing where a heart should be. And you do that in that book. Like you have a mixed first person and third person, um, in, in, in that particular book. Um, I can't think of any, like, uh, not that that book's not popular, but I can't think of any like mainstream books that do that right off the top of my head though. Um, yeah, it, well, I, I'm sorry, I'm doing three different things at once here. Um, so I, I have, I personally believe that first person is the most personal when it comes to the, the reader experience. So that, that's my absolute favorite. Um, so I, I, if I'm going to have a book where I am going to mix it up, you know, my main character is going to be in first person and then everybody else is going to be in third, um, you know, coast to coast though, the one I wrote with Patterson, we actually had two different characters in first person, um, which he wanted to do. I, I thought it would be confusing, but you know, it's not, um, you know, so like it, it can work um, if, if you do it that way. Uh, the book that I'm writing now, it's, it's in first person um, throughout the entire book um you know it's at 400 pages all in first person and that's a whole tricky thing to to do because you know obviously you have to stay in that one character's head the whole time um so I, I, there was a couple times in writing this book where i said well you know i could go out there and i could write you know from this particular character and throw a third person point of view in there um and it opens up what i could do from a storytelling standpoint um but you know in a lot of ways that's you know in my world that's a cop-out um yeah, you know, because I, I I wanted you know I'm purposely shooting for a particular audience. I'm trying to go younger with this one, and you know if if you know young adult and and that group they they tend to you know they, they like first person um you know present tense, which is the other the other aspect there. Yeah, I mean I know like as a reader I've always it, I always felt like it would like pull me out if a book is in first person then switches to third person for other characters. Um, that's to me, that's not nearly as bad as like first person switching different characters. Like I'm personally not a fan of that. Um, but like I said, when I read, when I read, uh, there's a broken thing, it was like, Oh, this is actually, it makes sense. Like, this is really cool. Uh, and Catherine mentioned, uh, that the outlander series does that. So, um, and that would be something very mainstream that does that. So very interesting. Um, Catherine, I guess I can come back to you since uh, we're talking about you now. Did you have any other questions? I, I have, like I said, I have one kind of fun one from you here that you dropped in Slack, but did you have anything else you want to ask us while you're here? Um, no, why don't you just go ahead with that one? So her, uh, so her kind of, and this is kind of a fun question. Like I said, was uh, when COVID restrictions lift, what are your personal and professional plans for travel events, activities, et cetera? Cause I don't think we, I, maybe we, we might've actually answered this on the Q and a last month, but I don't know. Let's do it now. JD, where are you going to travel? I mean, at this point, if I got invited to an Amish donut, you know, like thing, I would probably go like, I, I, I just want to get out of the house. I don't really care where it is. I just, I just want to go somewhere. Um, I honestly think the first one that I'm going to be doing is the career author uh, summit. I think that's the first one that I'm actually booked for out, outside. Everything else that I've got is still virtual for the rest of this year. Nice. What about you, Jay? Yeah, well, we got Witches of Salem in July and, uh, and the Summit in September and uh, Vampires of New Orleans in October. Uh, like JD, um, over the, in 
over the past 13 months, I've only gone to the grocery store. Um, no coffee shops, no restaurants, no <laughs> nothing else, no visiting of friends, no visiting of family. So I'm about to lose my mind. Um, I get my I second. I don't know how you guys are doing that, to be honest with yeah, you. <laughs> I get my. Uh, I've been a little less responsible, but not super bad. Yeah, but. well, we're old, Zach. So we're definitely more susceptible to the virus than you are. You young I mean, I'm fat. Spring chickens. Uh, but I, I'm thinking like maybe a three week uh, bender in Vegas sometime soon. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm excited about getting out. I'm excited about going to Boston and stuff for this trip, but that's all I have planned this year. So, but like I said, I also have been a little bit less responsible than these guys. So I, I have been going to coffee shops and stuff like that. So, um, we'll, I'm going to grab this one cause we got a few more minutes and we've talked, we've talked the last couple episodes about, uh, Kindle Vela, but I think Chad brought kind of an interesting perspective to this. Um, and Jay, I'll bring this one to you because I think you have kind of some experience here. But uh, he's, he asked if any of us are going to try Kindle Vela, which Jay, you've mentioned you want to. I think I calculated it to pay four cents per thousand words read, which isn't horrible. And here's where I think is interesting. He says, though, easings and uh, anthologies pay a thousand times that. So that that's kind of an interesting, like, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Just from hearing that My question. initial thoughts are they are if you get your submission accepted. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, the, that's the catch. Uh, and that's not easy to do. Uh, so I would say, you know, uh, I, I am, I, Rachel and I are going to experiment with Vela. Um, I, the money thing isn't really, and I'm not even thinking about that right now. I'm more interested in the, the method of storytelling that, that I think this opens up. Like I want to, I want to, creatively play in this space it's a, it's a different kind of writing it's very different than writing novels yeah. it's different than writing short stories uh and i kind of want to play in that sandbox a little bit so i recognize that yeah i mean you know like anything that you self-publish if you're not driving traffic to it or you're not getting word of mouth and and people sharing it you're not going to make a lot of money that's true whether it's page reads or, or, or sales at this point for me, for Vela is, is simply an experiment in craft and learning. And that's kind of how I'm approaching it. Personally, I'm afraid of change. So I'm <laughs> <anywhere near> it. <laughs> All that construction at your house says otherwise. <laughs> Sounds like you got a lot of change going on over there. That's, that's different. Um, I, I honestly just don't have the time. I, I mean, I, I would love to be able to experiment with something like that, but I just, I don't see how I could hit some of the other dates that I have on the calendar right now if, if I did. And I, and I, I miss doing, you know, some of those kind of things, just ex experimenting a little bit with, with that. I, I kind of wish I, I had the time to do it. All right. I'm going to sneak one more in here because we got to get Kim's fun question in. And I feel like I'm going to learn something about JD and I'm going to let Catherine answer this one too, since she's here, but we're going to start with, we'll start with Jay. Cause he's the first one on my screen. Uh, if you were stuck on a desert Island, and could take the catalog of one musical artist with you. Who would it be? So this is, this is an easy one for me. This is 100% Led Zeppelin without a doubt. Oh. Uh, no, not the beach Boys. And, and it's, and it's, not because like Zeppelin's definitely one of my favorite bands, um, but it's not because they're like my number one band. It's because of the diversity and breadth of their catalog. Like if I'm stuck on an island, I don't want to hear like the same style of music forever. And with Zeppelin, you get like rock, you get uh, progressive rock, you get some country. Like there's there's such a diversity in sound that I'm definitely going with Led Zeppelin. What about you, JD? 
That's tough. I mean, because I, I listen to stuff all across the board. I mean, my favorite band is probably Guns N' Roses. Um, but at the same time, I'm a huge Prince fan, which is probably <laughs> seemed really weird. Um, but, you know, probably for a lot of the same reasons that, that Jay just mentioned, you know, like you can put on one of his albums, you know, one of the early ones, and it's totally different from one of the later ones. Like he was somebody who just wasn't afraid to, to experiment with music a little bit. And, you know, he didn't stick to any particular formula. Um, I'm also a huge fan of um, the movie Eddie and the Cruisers. So like I, I could listen to John Cafferty and the Beaver brown band over and over and over again um but i'm pretty sure i'd be talking to a coconut inside three hours (laughs) hanging from a palm tree by the end of the first or second day so i'm I'm probably i'm a bad guy to ask just just to age you a little bit the uh the number one song the day i was born was when doves cry oh (laughs) july 2nd 1984 so and and i saw that in the theaters (laughs) (laughs) i have a picture with jay on the bike so remember that we took a picture on the, I think it was a replica of the motorcycle. That was in Seattle, right? In the Mopar. Seattle, yeah. yeah. And we, you have your arms around me. Yeah. That's pretty funny. <laughs> what about you, Catherine? You got that? Uh, Jay's going to know what I'm going to say, I think. So <laughs> uh, it'd have to be Led Zeppelin. I mean, that's what I grew up with. And for the same reason, their diversity is amazing. Even within one song, the diversity, the changes, the movements, the, Yeah. You know, even just reading the lyrics is great. So if I had to pick one, yeah. (laughs) Well, my I would have to pick my uh, my favorite band, which is a band called Opeth. And a lot of the same reason they actually uh, have a super diverse catalog because they used to be like a death metal band. Then they went more progressive. Now they're like a straight 70s sounding prog band and they really hit all the spectrum. So that would be that would definitely be mine. So. And and they love you because no one listens to them more on Spotify than you. Yeah, I'm in the literally. Top one, I'm in the top one percent of their listeners worldwide, <laughs> according to Spotify. So, and they're I mean they're a really popular band too. I mean they're not like you know so I'm I'm pretty proud of that. So. <laughs> well, excellent. Uh, as we pull to a close, special thanks to to Kathy for showing up live today and joining us on the podcast and. Hopefully everyone, uh, you know, all other patrons are welcome to, to join us as well. We'll do it once a month and take questions if you can't show up live. So uh, to our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.